Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So glad that you can join me today. Uh, today, as you saw, is the beginning of us talking about a bunch of very iconic, very influential people within the community, uh, their impacts on the community, what they did during their lives, and all that good stuff. Now, today we're going to be talking about two people. We're going to be talking about Harvey Milk and Gilbert. And Gilbert Baker. So first, let's start off with Harvey Milk. Now, if you don't know who Harvey Milk is, don't worry, I will explain right now. Harvey Bernard Milk was an American politician and the first openly gay elected official in the history of California, where he was elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Although he was most, he was, although he was the most pro-LGBT politician in the United States at the time, politics and activism were not his early interests. He was neither open about his sexuality nor civically active until he was 40. After his experiences in the counterculture movement in the 1960s. Now, Harvey Milk was a person, like I said, who was openly... um, He was elected to the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco in the 60s. No, in in in, in the 70s, actually. Um, so yes, let's, let's talk about this. Um, yes. In 1972, Milk moved from New York City to the Castro District of San Francisco amid a migration of gay and bisexual men. He took advantage of the growing political and economic power of the neighborhood to promote his interests and unsuccessfully ran three times for public, for political office. Milk's theatrical campaigns earned him increasing popularity, and in 1977, he won a seat as a city supervisor. His election was made possible by a key component of a shift in San Francisco politics. Milk served almost 11 months in office, during which he sponsored a bill banning discrimination in public accommodations, housing, and employment on the basis of sexual orientation. The supervisors passed the bill by a vote of 11 to 1, and was signed into law by Mayor Moscone on November 27, 1978. Milk and Mayor George Moscone were assassinated by Dan White, who was another city supervisor. He, White had recently resigned to pursue a private business enterprise, but that, inventor, that endeavor eventually failed, and he sought to get his old job back. White was sentenced to seven years in prison for manslaughter, which was later reduced to five years. He was released in 1983. Um, yes. Despite his short career in politics, Milk became an iconic an icon in San Francisco and a martyr in the gay community. In 2002, Milk was called the most famous and most significantly open LGBT official ever elected in the United States. Anne Cronenberg, his final campaign manager, wrote of him, What set Harvey apart from you or me was that he was a visionary. He imagined a righteous world inside his head, and then he set 
and he set about to create it for real, for all of us. Milk was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2009. Yeah. It's actually, it was, yeah. Um, It was one of those things where, like, he had all of these ideas of what he wanted to do, and he didn't get to do them until he was in his 40s. So, you know, there's that. Um, So let's talk about his early campaigns within the community, leading up to him um, getting into politics. Um, His first campaign was in San Francisco, um, after he moved. Yeah. Uh, Milk received an icy reception from the gay political establishment in San Francisco. Jim Foster, who had then who had by then been active in gay politics for 10 years, resented that the newcomer had asked for his endorsement for a position as prestigious as for a position as prestigious as city supervisor. Foster told Milk, there's an old saying in the Democratic Party, you don't get to dance until you put up the chairs. I've never seen you put up the chairs. Milk was furious that Foster had stumped him for the position, and the conversation marked the beginning of an antagonistic relationship between the Alice Club and Harvey Milk. Some gay bar owners, still battling police harassment and unhappy with what they saw as a timid approach by Alice to establish authority in the city, decided to endorse him. Milk had drifted through life up up to this point, but he found his his vocation, I almost said vacation, found his vocation, according to journalist Frantz Fitzgerald, who called him a born politician. At first, his inexperience showed he tried to do without money, support, or staff, and instead relied on his message of sound financial management, promoting individuals over large corporations and government. After one debate, an opponent told him, you really gotta change your rap into Downer. He supported the reorganization of supervisor elections from a citywide ballot to district ballots, which was intended to reduce the influence of money and give neighborhoods more control over their representatives in city government. He also ran on a culturally liberal platform, opposing government interference in private sexual matters and favoring the legalization of marijuana. Milk's fiery, flamboyant speeches and savvy media skills earned him a significant amount of press during the 1973 election. He earned he earned 16,900 votes, sweeping the Castro district and other liberal neighborhoods and coming in 10th place out of 32 candidates. Had the elections been reorganized to allow districts to le- to elect their own supervisors, he would have won. Mayor of Castro Street. From early in his political career, Milk displayed an affinity for building coalitions. The Teamsters wanted to strike against beer distributors, Coors in particular, who refused to sign the union contract. An organizer asked Milk for assistance with gay bars. In return, Milk asked the union to hire more gay drivers. A few days later, Milk canvassed the gay bars in and surrounding the Castro district, urging them to refuse to sell with be- sell the beer. With the help of, of a coalition of Arab and Chinese grocers, the Teamsters had also re- recruited. The boycott was successful. Milk found a strong political ally in organized labor, and it was around this time that he began to style himself the mayor of Castro Street. As Castro Street's presence grew, so did Milk's reputation. 
Tom O'Horgan re- remarked, Harvey spent most of his life looking out, looking for a strange, looking for, no, Harvey spent most of his life looking for a stage. On Castro Street, he finally found it. Tensions were growing between the older citizens of the most holy Redeemer Parish and the gays who were entering the Castro District. In 1973, two gay men tried to open an antique shop, but but the Eureka Valley Merchants Association attempted to prevent them from receiving a business license. Milk and a few other gay business owners found the Castro Village Association with Milk as the president. He f- he often repeated his philosophy that gays should be gays should buy from gay businesses. Milk organized the Castro Street Fair in 1974 to attract more customers to the area. More than 5,000 attended, and some of the e- EVMA members were stunned. They do more business at, at the Castro Street Fair than on any previous day. Serious candidate. Although he was a newcomer to the Castro district, Milk had shown leadership in the small community. He was starting to break, to be taken seriously as a candidate and decided to run again for supervisor in 1975. He reconsidered his approach and cut his long hair and swore off mar- marijuana and vowed never to visit another gay bathhouse again. Milk's campaigning earned the support of the Teamsters, firefighters, and construction unions. His store, Castro Camaro, became the center of the of activity in the neighborhood. Milk would often pull people off the street to work his campaigns. Many discovered later that they just happened to be the type of men Milk found attractive. Milk favored support for small businesses and the growth of neighborhoods. Since 1968, Mayor Aliotto had been lowering large corporations to the city despite what critics labeled the, man- the Manhattanization of San Francisco. As blue-collar jobs were replaced by the service industry, Aliotto's weakened political base allowed for new leadership to be voted into office in the city. In 1975, state senator George Moscone was elected mayor. Moscone had been instrumental in repealing the sodomy law earlier that year in the California state legislature. He acknowledged Milk's influence in his election by visiting Milk's election night night headquarters. Thinking, thanking Milk personally and offering him a position as a city commissioner. Milk came in seventh place in the election, only one position away from earning a supervisor seat. Liberal pol- politicians held the offices of the mayor, district attorney, and sheriff. Despite the new leadership in the city, there were still conservative strongholds, and in, in one of Moscone's first acts as mayor, he appointed a police chief to the embattled San Francisco Police Department. He chose Charles Gain against the wishes of the SFPD. Most of the forces, most of the force disliked Gain for criticizing the police and the press for racial insensitivity and alcohol abuse on the job, instead of working with the command structure to change its attitudes. By request of the mayor, Gain made it clear that gay police officers would be welcomed in the, in the department. This became national news. Police under Gain expressed their hatred of him and of the mayor for betraying them. Race for State Assembly Keeping his promise to milk, newly elected Mayor George Moscone appointed him to the Board of Permit Appeals in 1976, making him the first openly gay city commissioner in the United States. Milk, however, considered seeking a position in the California State Assembly. This, the district was weighed heavily in his favor, as much of it was based in neighborhoods surrounding Castro Street, where Milk's, where milk's sympathizers voted. In the previous race for supervisor, Milk received most votes 
than the currently seated assemblyman. However, Moscone had made a deal with the assembly speaker that another candidate should run, Art Agnos. Furthermore, by order of the mayor, neither appointed nor elected officials were allowed to run a campaign while performing their duties. By the time of Milk's 1975 campaign, he had decided to cut his hair and wear suits. Yeah, okay. Uh, Milk spent five weeks on the Board of Permit Appeals before Moscone was forced to fire him when he announced he would run for the California State Assembly. Rick Stokes replaced him. Milk's firing and the backroom deal made between Moscone, the Assembly Speaker, and Agnos fueled his campaign as he took on the identity of a political underdog. He reeled that high officers in the city and and state of governments were against him. He complained that the prevailing gay political establishment, particularly the Alice B. Toklas Memorial Democratic Club, were shutting him out. He referred to Jim Foster and Stokes as gay Uncle Toms. He enthusiastically embraced a local independent weekly magazine headline, Harvey Milk vs. the Machine. The Alice B. Toklas Club made no endorsement in the primary, neither Milk nor Agnes, while other gay-aligned clubs and groups endorsed Agnes or did dual endorsements. Milk's role as a representative of of San Francisco's gay community expanded during this period. On September 22, 1975, President Gerald Ford, while visiting San Francisco, walked from his hotel to his car. In the crowd, Sarah Jane Moore raised a gun to raised a, raised a gun to shoot him. A former Marine who had been walking by grabbed her arm as the gun discharged toward the pavement. The bystander was Oliver Bill Sipple, who had left Milk's ex-lover Joe Campbell years later. Years before, b- prompting Campbell's suicide attempt. The national spotlight was on him immediately. On psychiatric disability leave from the military, Sipple refused to call himself a hero and did not want his sexuality disclosed. Milk, however, took advantage of the opportunity to illustrate his cause that public perception of gay people would be improved if they came out of the closet. He told a friend, it's too good an opportunity. For once, we can show the gay, we can show that gays do his heroic things, not just all that caca about molesting children and hanging out in bathrooms. Milk contacted a newspaper. Several days later, Herb Kane, a columnist at the San Francisco Chronicle, exposed Sybil as gay and a friend of Milk's. The announcement was picked up by national newspapers, and Milk's name was included in many of the stories. Time magazine named Milk as a leader in San Francisco's gay community. Sybil, however, was besieged by reporters, as was his family. His mother, a staunch Baptist in Detroit, now refused to speak with him. Although he had been involved with the gay community for years, even participating in gay pride events, Sipple sued the Chronicle for an invasion of privacy. President Ford sent Sipple a note for thanking for, of thanks for saving his life. Milk say, said that Sipple's sexual orientation was the reason he received only a note rather than an invitation to the White House. Milk's continuing campaign run from the storefront of Castro's camera was a study in disorganization. Although the older Irish grandmothers and gay men who volunteered were plentiful and happy to send out mass mailings, Milk's notes and volunteer lists were kept on scrap papers. Anytime the campaign required funds, the money came from the cash register without any consideration for accounting. The campaign manager's assistant was an 11-year-old neighborhood girl. Milk himself was hyperactive and prone to fantastic outbursts of temper, only to recover quickly and shout excitedly about something else. Many of his rants were directed at his lover Scott Smith, who was becoming disillusioned by, with the man who was no longer the laid-back hippie he had fallen in love with. 
If the candidate was mani- was manic, he was always he was also dedicated and filled with good humor, and he had a particular genius for getting media attention. He spent long hours registering voters and shaking hands at bus stops and movie theaters and movie theater lines. He took whatever opportunity came along to promote himself. He thoroughly enjoyed campaigning, and his successful his success was evident. With a large number of volunteers, he had dozens at a time stand alone stand along the busy thoroughfare of Market Street as human billboards, holding milk for assembly signs while commuters drove into the heart of the city to work. He distributed his campaign his campaign literature anywhere he could, including among one of the t- one of the most influential political groups in the city, the People's Temple. Milk's accept- Milk accepted Temple volunteers to work his phones and wrote a letter to President Jimmy Carter defending Jim Jones when he asked. Milk's relationship with the Temple was, was similar to other politicians in Northern California, according to the San Francisco Examiner. Jones and his parish owners were a potent political force, helping to ignite, coping to, helping to elect Moscone, who appointed him to the housing authority, District Attorney Joseph Freitas, and Sheriff Richard Hongisto. However, when Milk learned Jones was backing both him and Art Agnos in 1976, he told friend Michael Wong, well, fuck him, I'll, work, I'll take his workers, but, that, but that's the game Jim Jones plays. But to his volunteers, he said, make sure you're always nice to the people's temple. If they ask you to do something, do it, and then send them a note thanking them, thanking them for asking you to do it. The race was closed, the race was close, and Milk lost by fewer than 4,000 votes. Agnos, however, taught Milk a valuable lesson when he criticized Milk's campaign speeches as a downer. You talk about how you're going to throw the bums out, but how are you going to fix things often than, other than beat me? You shouldn't leave your audience on a down. In the wake of his loss, Milk, realizing that the Tolkis Club would never support him politically, co-founded the San Francisco Gay Democratic Club. Oh man, yes. Harvey Milk was a very involved person in the ver- in the early political landscape that was um, LGBTQ plus politics. Um, it's it's actually very interesting to read all of this and see how much of himself he put on the line to um, try to create an environment that he envisioned in his head. Um, because this was, you have to remember, this wasn't like 10 years ago or however or anything like that this was 50 years ago that he tried to do this and even 50 years ago granted he was met with some pushback but 50 years ago he was actually doing pretty well for himself he was campaigning he was pushing ideas out there he was on the board of he was on the uh the board for permits um, he had power in the in the Casho district. People looked up to him. People supported him. Um, he had his own store that he ran. Um, and all these other things. He like he openly went out there and like was campaigning and hiring people from the streets and from local chapters, getting the support of everybody in the neighborhood. Um, you know, working with like other politicians to make sure that he was he was getting endorsed. All these other things. It's actually really really interesting that even back then, 
there was somebody who was out there who was openly transparent about being gay. Well, he wasn't, like, transparent about it since he hadn't, like, actually said the words, I am gay, until he was 40. But, you know, people could put two and two together on that one. Um, I find it interesting that, like, even back then, this, like, during the 70s, there was there were still people who were fighting their asses off to try to get some sort of voice um, in from the community into um, into the, the the minds of people who would try to silence us or try to um, demean us, and it's 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 very interesting to 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 read all of that and to see that. Um, despite uh, circumstances, he had a very successful career. He had a very successful and he had a very uh, fruitful career. He, he did a lot of things during his time that I'm sure a lot of people were impressed by, but also jealous of because they, they, either they didn't want to see him continuing to, to do these things or they wished that they could be in that position where they could do more to help their community and i find that to be amazing um but yes thank you so much for listening to this episode on harpy milk the one of the very first um actually not the very first openly gay uh politician in the united states um and tomorrow we're going to be talking about um Gilbert Baker and um, his story about designing the pride flag, the variations of the pride flag. We're also going to be talking about a very interesting story involving a pride flag and the Gulf of Mexico. But we, we'll 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 talk about we'll talk about that tomorrow. Uh, but um, but yes, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, the endings the usual send-offs for every episode you are loved you are seen you are valid you are heard you are beautiful you're wonderful never forget that also donate protest do research sign petitions make your voice heard keep fighting you got this we all got this keep fighting i believe in you all right so thank you again thank you for listening See you guys tomorrow.